everybody, welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast of Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Molitsis. I'm here with Kerry Eleveld, and today we're going to be talking about what else? Donald Trump. It is primary season, so <laughs> there's a lot of Trump news going on, Kerry. It is obviously Trump season. The Democrats have no real primary, so Joe Biden is the de facto nominee. So there's not a lot of well, drama just, going on there. Right. And let's Donald just, Trump is drama personified. So we can celebrate the fact that that Biden put that to bed last week in New Hampshire. I mean, there's not a real primary going on, but when his only challenger loses to him, gets you know what, 19 percent of the vote, and Biden walks away in a right-in right-in campaign right-in. with like 63 <laughs> percent. I don't know. Might be time to get out, Dean Phillips. Might just be time to drop it. So anyway, I mean, you yeah, know, like. Yeah. And to be clear, New Hampshire was uh, it's not a sanctioned Democratic primary because Iowa and New Hampshire no longer get first in the nation status with the Democrats. Thank God. It's a major, major, I think, major upgrade in the primary calendar. But Dean Phillips, and if you don't know who that is, Yes, you, there's really no reason you should know who he is. And Marianne Williamson thought that they could sort of sneak in. And even though it wasn't a sanctioned event, the fact that Joe Biden wasn't on the ballot, they thought maybe they could get a big number of the people who did show up and then they could claim that there was really a contested primary. And there wasn't. <laughs> Not even close. Not even close. On the other hand, Carrie, we talked last week or two weeks ago, we talked about how Donald Trump's 51% performance in Iowa, sort of the Republican partisan base behind them. And we saw much of the same in New Hampshire last week, didn't we? I just never get tired of talking about the New Hampshire numbers because you like my favorite, favorite one is that of the 43% of voters that uh, Nikki Haley won, okay, and most of them were, she won about a quarter of Republican identified voters. She won that in New Hampshire. She won the vast majority of undeclared voters. And then she won just a, a real small sliver of like, I don't know, 5%, 6%, 7% of Democratic identified undeclared voters, right? People who were undeclared, but sort of identify as Democrats. That's who they usually vote for. So the vast majority of her coalition was like a quarter of Republican voters. And then you know, somewhere around two thirds of undeclared voters. But the point is, and this is the big number, is that 94% of them said they would be dissatisfied if Trump, you know, won the won the nomination. 94%. That's virtually every one of them that voted yeah. for Haley. And she won 43% of the Republican primary. And it's just, it's worth mentioning that under the right conditions, New Hampshire is a purple swing state. I mean, under the right conditions, you know, you- It is, it is. I don't think conditions-wise, it is a purple swing state. Well, except that that if you look at the numbers under a Trump, you know, uh, under, like he is gonna, if, if this were to bear out in the general election, he would get trounced in, yeah. he would get trounced in, in New Hampshire based on the way the numbers played out. So anyway, yeah. No, and and to be fair, and I'll just just to be fair, and so I don't want anybody thinking that that Trump is about to lose forty percent of the Republican vote. The primary turnout is smaller than the general election turnout, so there's probably a lot of Trump supporting conservatives that that just barely have a bare tenuous connection to politics. A lot of them didn't vote before Trump showed up, and so 
they'll probably turn out. And even some people, just like there's some people who will vote for Joe Biden, even though they don't particularly love him. A lot of these people will vote for Donald Trump, even though they don't love him. But here's the thing, Kerry, we don't need 40% to either not vote or turn out. We need 5%. You see that at a national basis, 5% sort of say like, this guy is, is a threat to democracy. We don't want anything to do with him. He offends me deeply. And it's not even a close election at that point. Right. That, the, the margin. So Trump doesn't have a lot of room to 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 see his base erode. And it is eroding. Right. And look, I'm going to say something that uh, may be unpopular because there's nothing Democrats like to do more than play defense and, you know, approach every every election with like a bare knuckle mentality of we're going to lose. It's horrible. It's all over. Right. So I'm not saying like, yes, that can happen. And it happened to us in, in, you know, 2016 with Hillary Clinton. We, we really thought it looked good mm-hmm. for her. And then it, you know, we, we don't need to revisit that, but it was, you know, obviously the beginning of this long national nightmare. So anyway, but there is a possibility, there is a world in which, We all believe it's going to be an incredibly close election. We all work as if it's going to be an incredibly close election. There is a world in which Donald Trump really stumbles. And I'm not saying that Biden like just, you know, just romps and completely. But there is a world in which Donald Trump like actually underperforms and does worse than most people are imagining he will do. So that's not a given, but there is a world where that's possible. Um, there, there is a world like where Simon Rosenberg talks about, you know, Democratic strategist Simon Rosenberg talks about getting to 55 percent and maybe 55 percent is high. But what about you know, 55%, 54%, 53%, like, you know, there's that, that world exists. Yeah. And, and th- those percentages are sort of important. It doesn't seem like the difference between 51 and 55 does not seem like a big number just generically, but in context, 51, right now we have a 51, 49 country, 51% Democrat, 49% Republican. What that means is that even a small drop off in democratic turnout is a problem for our side, which has historically been the challenge with the democratic party. We do pretty well in presidential year elections, not so well in midterms. That has flipped on its head. That has flipped on its head because, in large part, because of Donald Trump. Uh, He's kept our base motivated. And our base is learning that it feels good to win those midterm elections. And it's important to win those Supreme Court elections and and things like that. But here's a difference. 51-49, it's a two-point spread between the two, right? 51-49. All you got to do, if you take the Democratic margin from 51% to 55, that's just four points. And, and Simon Rosenberg has done the math. It doesn't take a lot. It's just a question of turning out more young voters, more single women, turning out more Latinos. There's different ways to get there. It means that we live in a world where democratic performance can suffer a little bit. And it's okay, because we got the big lead and then we still win elections. So that's the difference. And that's what we're gonna be working towards. And it doesn't matter if Donald Trump stumbles or not. We all assume it's gonna be a tough race because it is, and it's gonna be existential. But even if he starts fading, we press the advantage because we need to take the Senate. We need to we need to win Senate seats in Florida and Texas, which seem almost impossible on paper, but they are doable in certain scenarios, certain environments. We start winning those states. That probably means we held Ohio. Probably means we held Montana and Arizona. So it, it's imperative that we we fight hard and. The last piece, this is a very much an aside, Carrie. I almost hesitate to bring this up because it is a deviation from our main theme. But you, you did talk about how how Democrats run fearful, right? We're always like 
paranoid, like we're going to lose. And there's, there's a reason for that is because if we lose, if, if Republicans, if they lose, what do they get? They get like subsidized health care, <laughs> they get yeah. child tax credit, they get good things. They may not admit they get good things because right, their right. partisan mind will deny it. But nothing bad happens when a Democratic administration happens to real people. Right. Now, a Republican administration wins. We all know that, especially now, democracy is at stake. So the incentives are sort of perversely inverted, right? Like they don't have a lot to lose. We have everything to lose. They also have a lot to lose. They just don't realize it, right? We know right. what's at stake. We I tell you what, if there's if there's enough reporting on the 10% tariffs that, that Donald Trump wants to impose on all imports to the country, if there's enough reporting on that, I think there's a lot of people who are going to realize they got a lot to lose. That could- 10% tax. It's a 10% tax. It could cost, you know, an average of American households on average could be $2,000 a year. But on top of that, on top of that, this inflation that everybody's, you know, like been really upset about over the past couple years, inflation would go through the roof with a 10% tariff like that on all imports. I mean, it would be crazy. And there would probably be a GDP slowdown too. And so, I mean, it is... When he's talking about that, I mean, I know that there's a level at which that's popular, uh, this sort of isolationist stance is popular, but if there's enough real report in, in the Republican Party, especially, right? It's sort of a nativist. Yeah, stance. It, it's but, not. But if there's a if there's enough reporting on this, the pool of gettable voters for Democrats that we talk about, they're going to understand that that's got, a 10 percent tariff is going to be a problem. It's going to be a real problem. So. Yeah, yeah, and and I think just calling it a tax would probably be a good way to to push that, fight sure. that off. But but so anyway, so we have a situation where Trump is getting barely fifty percent of the vote. Nikki Haley is sticking around, and Trump is flipping out. And you've been covering this very very closely, so take it from here. Like it is remarkable seeing how the, that that race is shaping up right now. I mean, you know, Trump. Trump, of course, anyone who watched his New Hampshire, quote unquote, victory speech, just, you know, saw him come unraveled and say things like, you know, I've just learned over time that you can't let someone go ahead and claim something when it's bullshit. You know, sorry. Uh, sorry for that. That unfamily friendly. Yeah, my ears are bleeding. But, right. <laughs> I can't believe but you know, and then he, he but he seethed. He was so upset that she wasn't dropping out and that she had gone out. This was smart. She had gone out before him and said, you know what? I'm marching on. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going forward. South Carolina voters want a chance to vote. You know, I mean, she got out there and that is what you know, ticked him off because she stole his thunder. That became the story that she stays in rather than, you know, Trump won the second thing, has it all, his second state, has got it all tied up, you know. And then he just seethed and he looks, so, you know, so small and petty, like we I all know he is. Did he even thank the voters of New Hampshire? I think oh, he, was, God, no. he was singularly no. obsessed with, with, his Singularly. Slight. And 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 so this is this your question actually feeds perfectly into, you know, I started watching her last week and I started watching. She's actually hit her stride in terms of messaging, I think. It's she's better, she's got a better, crisper anti-Trump message now than she did for a year in the primary, right? And you know, while she spent a lot of time attacking Joe Biden before now, she spends most of her time attacking Trump now. 
and she hits him on mental cognition. She hits him on, to your point, did he even thank the voters of New Hampshire? The Biden-Harris campaign, like their, their rapid response Twitter account, you know, tweeted out a, a an excerpt from one of her South Carolina stump speeches where she was saying, you know, in all of that, in everything that he said on New Hampshire primary night, did he even once, you know, did he even once talk about the voters? He didn't. He didn't once talk about the voters, right? So it becomes at that point where she's like virtually serving. Now, I'm not going to say, you know, obviously everything she says, she's, she's you know, running in a Republican primary. She's going to say things that are anti-Biden, that Democrats won't like. But she is as good a, a Biden surrogate right now in the Republican primary as they could ask for. I mean, she is, first of all, reminding every woman voter out there why they can't stand Trump and why they would crawl across glass to make sure he doesn't win in 2020 because he's continually calling her bird brain. He's continually losing his mind over her. He's continually like making, you know, taking racial swipes at her by using her, um, you know, her given name, which has uh, an Indian origin. He's played the, the birther card. Was she born here? Is she eligible to be? Well, not was she born here because she was, but is she eligible to be president? You know, that type of stuff. And she is. She's totally eligible. But this is just like the Obama thing. But his treatment of her, he can't seem to keep the women he hates in his life separate. And to be clear, the women he hates in his life, that's anyone who doesn't bow to him and do as they're told. And so he's mixing up Nikki Haley and Nancy Pelosi, because you know what? They all just meld in his mind as like women he can't stand. And no, literally, he, literally. It's, yeah. he, just, he can't keep the name straight. So no, he, he, can't he confuses keep the, Pelosi yeah. and Nikki Haley. It's to be clear that you're not being hyperbolic here. No, no, no. Literally. So, I mean, I think a lot of you by now have heard. It sounds crazy. It no. sounds like, no. Yeah. I think a lot of you by now have heard that excerpt from his, from the speech where he was talking about how Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, you know, he like said her name like five, seven times during that entire thing where he was talking about the Capitol on January 6th and Capitol security. And he was accusing Nikki Haley of not accepting the, you know, reinforcements that supposedly the White House was trying to send to the Capitol, which we know, A, isn't true. And B, Nikki Haley wasn't at the Capitol yeah, because it yeah, was Nancy Pelosi who was at the Capitol, right? Pelosi doesn't have that power, just to right. be clear. But regardless. Right. Yeah, no, it's all a big lie. But he couldn't keep Nikki Haley and Nancy Pelosi. He also, you know, to to Walter's point, Walter Einenkel, he's our producer, you know, he wrote a piece where he, where he used this, Trump had sent out this tweet on Truth Social that was like an amalgamation of Hillary Clinton and Nikki Haley. And so, you know, you've got a Haley picture and then he superimposed like Hillary's face on it, suggesting that they're really just the same person. And I am convinced that because they are women who are not doing as they are told by Donald Trump, that they really all are the same person in his mind that he can't really distinguish between them and who gives a crap about them actually being very different, completely different people. And, you know, who cares about their names, whatever. So whatever, I can't keep the names straight. Who cares? Blah! You know, and I it, mean, like that's. Yeah, and 
Yeah. You see so, the same dynamic in the way he treats the judges in the cases. Yes. Because yes. again, it's 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 most of them are women. Yes. Of color. Yeah. <laughs> or you know, not not, the, not just the judges, but Fannie Willis in, in Georgia, you know, yep. the Fulton County DA, also a woman of color. And like it drives him crazy. He he cannot stand it. I think on so many levels, Nikki Haley is really doing a huge favor to the Biden campaign. Her talking about, even though uh, Joe Biden is is also, you know, and, and Donald Trump are peers in terms of their age, Biden's just been hit so much harder by the media that to have a Republican candidate running against Trump sort of neutralizing that argument by saying, wait a second, he can't even keep track of who I am and, you know, and pushing like a, you know, a a mental cognition test. But anyways, like she's pushing this issue and she's pushing it more at Trump now than she is at Biden. And I think that's useful for Biden to the the guy in Biden campaign doesn't really need to take it up at the moment and they may never take it up. They can just let Nikki Haley take it up. And, you know, you don't have to sort of back and forth of where you got cognitive decline. No, you got cognitive decline. In this case, it's I think there's bipartisan agreement that, yes, Trump has cognitive decline. And it's it's real. It is real. He does not look the same as he did before. I mean, it, it it's the airing of grievances. It's all nonsense. He confuses Pelosi with Nikki Haley. He confuses Obama with Joe Biden. He's, it's just an absolute disaster mess. And we're starting to see and. and Carrie, I hang out a lot in, in right wing media, online media circles. Hey, that's and, on you. That's on you. And it is on me. But <laughs> one thing I've noticed is that he's been showing up to this to these sessions late. People are leaving early. His strongest supporters are starting to feel disrespected. Oh, and it's that's just little cracks. It's a little cracked. I'm not saying there's a mess, but if his you know tightest, most rabid supporters are starting to be like, yeah, it's not nice when he does that to us. And oh, I don't feel like he's really speaking to us. Or why does he keep talking about that? Why didn't he thank New Hampshire voters? Like these things are slipping in. And if they're feeling that way, you can just imagine how less rabid Republicans may be feeling. And we don't need to flip them. We just need them to stay home. Like if we get enough of these two, three percent of those people stay home, another two, three percent flip. Uh, I think there's going to be Republicans that voted for Trump last time that are going to vote for Biden this time. And then again, that gets us to 55%. And then it's a whole different, whole different map. And, and, and we can breathe easy on right. election night. Hopefully we I get just some early results. Place the one asterisk that we cannot forget about, which is the third party candidates and how much of a role they play, because they are, they are probably the biggest potential spoilers of a, of a, you know, oh, you, are you feeling good about it? Please tell me if they, you're they have good never about been, there's never been a spoiler candidate in the history of this country. It just does not happen. The closest we get to spoilers are libertarians in red state general elections, you know, so places like Montana and Arizona. I would argue that Jill Stein was a spoiler for Hillary Clinton in Michigan. And the 5% that she got in Michigan or whatever, I think it's the difference between, you know, Hillary Clinton winning Michigan and losing Michigan. For reals. I'm not kidding. I don't think Michigan wasn't the the turning point. um, but it was what it may not have been the turning point, but it's yeah. one of the three of the blue walls that she lost. Yeah. So so, uh, I mean, I, I am concerned yeah. about that. And there, there's no right now they're fragmented and nobody at the time. The idea that Trump was going to win was sort of like fantastical. Oh, so totally. it, it was it was a free vote. People thought That's, that they could they could lodge a protest vote against Hillary and it was safe and it wouldn't matter. Nobody is under that impression anymore. You know, if the, the different third party candidates, if they collectively get more than one and a half percent. 
I'd be I'd be absolutely shocked. So it's not much of a fear for me. To me, it's more it's just a question of of turnout. If Trump can goose his numbers and people turn out, and that's that's what's scary, and that's what we can't take for granted. But I'm heading to Taylor Swift, and guys, Taylor Swift has become public enemy number one for the Republican Party and for the Trumpkins, and they have utterly lost their minds over her. And she got Time Woman of the Year, and they thought that it should have been Trump or something. And she has endorsed Democrats in the past. And I think what big part of it is they're terrified because last cycle, she wrote a story, an Instagram story. They last for 24 hours, not even a, a grid story. An Instagram story that lasted 24 hours registered something like 85,000 people. And she wasn't even trying that hard. So Republicans are at, oh, yeah, Carrie's just picking up a picture <laughs> of the magazine. And Trump, Trump thought the, his picture was going to be right here. Isn't that true? Didn't Trump yep. think he was going to be time person of the year somehow yeah, when true. he didn't do a damn thing last year? He didn't and, do a damn thing. Yeah, but this, but here's Taylor Swift. This is one of, I think there were three covers that they had for time person of the year. Yes, I'm a mild Swifty, and my uh, wife got me this for Christmas. So It's adorable. So Taylor Swift is the third most successful artist in history. Only the Beatles and Elvis have better numbers. And millions of young girls, it's, Carrie, it's exactly the people that don't vote. These are the people that Democrats have the hardest time turning out. And here we have a icon that has shown in the past the willingness to engage in electoral politics and Republicans are losing their minds over this, their minds. And to the point where, where they're planning, one story they were saying it was holy jihad against her to try to turn her into a cultural war item. Why? What the heck? Gary, if we had a similar person on the right, I'd be like, shh, yeah. talk about them. Don't rile them up. Don't rile up their fans. Right. Don't go Be after quiet. them. Yep. She'll do what she'll do, but it's okay. It, instead, they are begging these Swifties to not just turn out and vote, but to engage actively in doing so. It is the most, it is political malpractice. I don't understand it. It is freaking glorious. But even, she's even being accused of being a Pentagon psychological operation. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a, she's a PSYOP. Her relationship Psy with was, uh, yeah, Travis it was, it was Kelsey. Miller. What's his face? Uh, what's his first name? Trump's Miller. The, oh, the oh, uh, oh my God. There's so many, there's several Millers and I can't keep them straight. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. The horrible one. The, the Swingali, <laughs> oh, Trump's Swingali. Stephen Miller. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. It's a, so you think he's not like the craziest of them, but like Pentagon psyops. No, this is, I mean, but it's crazy. They're even, I think if they went even so far and I haven't really followed this, but I think they went even so far as to say that this relationship that she's having with Trevor Kansas Kelsey. city chief. Yeah. Tight end Travis Kelsey, that that's part of the whole thing that it's, that it's a whole like military. I mean, it is like, just, I mean, give it a rest. And I will say, so even like long before I was really much of a Taylor Swift fan, like there was, there was that moment. And I, I, I'm guessing it was like a decade ago where, where she was supposed to be accepting some big award at the, you know, at some, at one of the big awards shows or whatever. And then do you remember this Kanye West, like got up and he was like, I'm gonna let you speak. I'm gonna let you, let you speak. But he got up and made this whole, like during her acceptance, speech like kind of bumped her out of the way and was talking about how great Beyonce's you know video of the year was or something like that 
And frankly, um, both Beyonce and Taylor Swift are doing quite well. Um, but you know who hasn't really kept up um, is Kanye. So if you <laughs> if you want to like if you're if you're like you know what we can do this better than Kanye did it, we'll do it better. No, no, you can't. No, you're not going to. Like it's you. That is a it's a it's nothing but a loser for Republicans. But they, I mean, clearly haven't didn't get the message. So I took a look at her tour schedule and there is a very curious, like a 10 day block of rest period between around the Democratic convention in Chicago. So I'm really hoping and a lot of their conspiracies that she'll show up. And I hope that's a true one because it actually would fit in her schedule. I think she's in Indiana like the week before. And then she's in, you know, Chicago is a convention. And then there's time between the election, including a, a swing through Florida, which could be helpful if the Senate race is, is competitive. So I'm really hoping that she does fully engage. And if she does, Republicans have reason to be afraid. But again, they're not responding the proper way. The proper way isn't to try to demonize her and hate on her because that just mobilizes and motivates her supporters to back her even more but fervently. You but you, you know, to your point, I remember you wrote back, I think in December, a piece about why she like presses all of their buttons because oh. she's because she is, you know, she is like everything that Republicans don't want, you know, women to be, which is like independent and whatever. And you you went through you can do this better than I can do it. And I'd be happy to have you. But but I thought that was like. He, she just presses their buttons. They can't stand it. And just like just like Trump can't stand his buttons being pressed, you know, so I, that's why they're coming after her, because they just can't stand it. It's it's close to the end of the show. So I'll, I'll just finish. You know, they, they accuse her of being unwed and promiscuous. Right. Mm. Oh, she's not married. She's promiscuous. She's <laughs> nothing suggests she's promiscuous. They accuse her of being um, it's just strong and independent and has her own ideas. And this is literally the worst thing that can happen to Republicans. So they're absolutely losing their minds. It's going to be a factor. And I actually think it would be fun to dedicate almost an entire episode at some point later in, this, in the year on her effects. I think it's going to be a big, big, big effect. So, yeah, um, that'd be great. She's going to hopefully she'll she'll help register a bunch of young voters and hopefully they will. Hey. Can I bring up something that is totally like, I haven't tested this on you. I don't know what your reaction is going to be. Okay. And it's potentially divisive. So oh. I'm, here we are. We're just going to ask. I'm just going to ask. Did you hear, did you see okay. Nancy Pelosi bring up whether or not some of the, she wanted the, she wanted the defense department to, or maybe the, yeah, she wanted the fed somehow to investigate whether some of the protesters at, some of the protest, some of the anti-democratic. I mean, they're they're protesting at Biden, um, pro-Palestinian protesters. Okay, now mm -hmm. I, I want to be clear: there are people who genuinely feel really strong about what's happening in Gaza, who feel really strongly about what's happening in Israel. I'm not taking sides. I thought it was fascinating because it does seem like you know russia's always looking for the way it can you know it can get in there and sort of like create yeah. havoc for democrats and she asked that she asked the feds to investigate whether russia was sort of exploiting an opportunity and i just don't i mean i have no feel for whether or not there's anything there i mean there might be i don't i don't know what the investigation would would much accomplish just like you see russia really pushing texas secession which yeah. is absolutely absurd, but but it, it's clear that Texas Governor Greg Abbott is is sort of talking about that, defying a Supreme Court order based on the on the on the border. So Russia will will use. 
I mean, I don't think, I think it's, there's no doubt that Russia and Hamas, there's a, there's a link, there's a connection. Uh, definitely there's a big connection between Russia and Iran, and Iran is Hamas's biggest supporter. So there, there is that connection, whether they're, they're pushing it in social media, I, I just assume they are, but I'm not sure there's not anything the FBI can really do about that. So it seems to me a little silly, to be honest. There are people that really feel passionate about the issue. They're going to be loud and they're going to be obnoxious. And it is that's democracy. I mean, this is this is just the reality of where we live. And, and they have a right to be loud and obnoxious. And oh, uh, to- they to- totally everybody. Right. I so mean, you, it, everybody has a right to the extent that they can organize and interrupt a president to try to do it. Right. So, so I, I'm not sure an investigation is warranted. I think it's just it's going to be one of the challenges that Biden's going to have in navigating those waters. And hopefully the war ends sooner rather than later. Peace talks seem to have been, I've seen an uptick in negotiations over a, a more substantive ceasefire. So hopefully that becomes an issue. And you understand people, people's attention span is short, right? So we'll be moving on to the next existential crisis after. And that's not to say that there's not a group of really committed pro-Palestinian protesters that are going to stick around. They're probably going to create a lot of big havoc at the Democratic Convention. It's almost inevitable. It's going to happen. But it does mean that that from a national attention perspective, that people, I think, have already began to move on if they haven't already. And, and the fact is Trump is a very much an existential threat to our democracy. And that's what most people, I think, are really, really focused on. And yeah, and that's I not just, fertile ground for the pro-Palestinian crowd because they're trying to get traction and they're not. But well, it, it, I, just, it is what it is, right? I just will say it is what it is. I, I just will say this. You can look at civics tracking of Joe Biden's approval numbers. Now, in terms of favorability rating, he's still five points above where Donald Trump is because mm-hmm. you, you can't I mean, jo- you can't do a job approval rating for, for Trump right now because the only job he job. has is losing his mind. He's doing great at that. So, and money. Yeah, and, and, and court cases. And money and, and $83 million in the hole. Anyway, so you can look at, at Biden's job approval rating, and it has ticked down a couple points among Democrats and independents since the Hamas attack on Israel. So that is not you know, in the immediacy after the immediate aftermath of that happening, the positions he's taken as the war has gone on, it's not helped him. But I would like to say this. It's become clearer and clearer, too, that you can't put too much money on what an approval rating is and what it means for the way people will turn out, because we have mm-hmm. in the last election cycle, especially the midterms, when everybody, all the, you know, all the Beltway naysayers were like, it's going to be a red wave because Joe Biden's approval rating is so low and blah, blah. Well, mm-hmm. it turned out that was pretty much untethered to the results of the of the election. So, you know, a presidential approval rating, it would be nice to have it up at least, you know, above 40. I, I, it would make me breathe easier at night. But um, but there's no evidence now, these days and these times, that that holds a ton of sway over what actually happens in an election, because this isn't going to be about who likes Joe Biden or Donald Trump more. It's going to be about who fears Joe Biden or Donald Trump more. <laughs> yeah, one of them is scary. And just to, as a reminder, Donald Trump's approval ratings were in the low 30s in 2020, when he almost won re-election, you flip 100,000 votes in three states and Donald Trump gets re-elected. It was that close. So approval ratings have become a sort of a, a junk measure. Everybody, and it's also popular to say, I, I hate all politicians. So yeah, I disapprove, disapprove, disapprove all politicians. And it doesn't matter that, you know, we have a 
record-breaking economic boon and inflation is down to back to almost zero and all these great gas things that have happened. Gas prices here in California, under $4. Yeah, I mean, I know for a lot of people that sounds crazy, but here that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it, it, it is a different environment. That's why Donald Trump was just claiming credit for the high stock market a couple of days ago, or maybe it was yesterday, saying- All like, caps, if all because, caps credit. If because my polls are high. That's why the, the, the stock was, market is can doing I just, well. Let's just, and then I'll stop because I know you're going to take us out. But yeah. let me just say this. His <laughs> rationale for why it was his stock market and not Joe Biden's stock market that's surging to new highs is crazy. And he was saying that because the markets are already betting on him winning in November. I mean, let's just, this is a disparate pool of a ton of investors who are making minute to minute, second to second decisions about buying and selling, right? And he's like, 10 months from now in November, they're anticipating that I'm going to win. And that's why the stock market is surging. I mean, like, what? It, it what was nuts, crazy you know what? rationale is that? It also means only he's decision. paying attention and he's realizing he doesn't have much of an argument. There really is no argument for, and this is why they're trying to scuttle the, the border deal, because that's the one last thing that Trump thinks he can use is to scaremonger on the southern border. And here's the Democrats and Republicans on the verge of cutting a deal on, on border reforms and that taking that issue off the table. Trump is flailing. He is, he's got very little and, and he's freaking the F out. And that's not even including the court cases, which we've alluded to tangentially, but that is very much front and center in Trump's mind right now. It is gonna be a drama-filled next three months as the primaries shake out and the court cases shake out. Before we even get to the general election, that's gonna be its own spectacle. So we'll be here, we'll be talking about them, covering them, and here on Daily Coast The Brief, also on Daily Coast Proper, you can catch Kerry. Harry writing on the 2024 presidential election as well as Walter, our producer. So thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Walter. Thanks, everybody that helps behind the scenes, Perry and Paul. And thank you, the viewer, listener and reader for everything that you're doing for our democracy. It is on the line, literally. I know we say this every cycle, but we're going to keep saying it. Let's do it. Thanks you, everybody. Love you all. See you all next week. <laughs>